Asalaamu Alaikum, may peace be upon you and welcome to the Drive Time Show. It's uh, fantastic to be here on a Wednesday and I'm actually presenting the show with Dr. Bajrasal. Dr. Bajrasal, how are you? It's been so long since you and I had the show <laughs> yeah, on a Wednesday. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. This is, uh, time passes so quickly. That is, I think it's years and we, when we started in the beginning we had a, a combined show yeah. and then we are here together today. I know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I see, I'm looking forward to it because we've got two fantastic uh, topics today, both which are in a way might be poles apart, but actually they are intrinsically linked with one another, and we will show that today. So, anyway, welcome to our listeners here in the UK, worldwide, international, wherever you're listening from. By all means, do get in touch with us in a normal way on voiceofislam.co.uk, where you can listen to us live if you do not have DAB radio or any other way, or you can, the traditional way, give us a call on 0208 and our team are there ready to respond to your tweets, your social media activity at Voice of Islam UK. So if anything uh, that interests you in the two topics, which I haven't actually told you about just yet, which I will, uh, then please do get in touch. So the first topic that we'll be speaking about in the first hour is wealth distribution. Has it become a problem? And obviously this is born out of the situations we're seeing all over the world and where according to the World Bank in 2015 there was 10% of the world's population or you could say 734 million people lived less than Earth. You know, the £1.90 a day. I mean, you and I living in the UK, that's kind of alienated. So in the next hour, we'll be talking about faith. Are we losing our religion? Is this something that you and I wake up in the morning and say, right, I, I'm going to do it all myself. There's no one there to help me. It's me, me, me. Or do you have faith in a higher spiritual being? Obviously, Voice of Islam Radio is all about that. And that's exactly what we talk about and how we practically explain to you that there is a God out there. And we and our listeners who know us very well know that we are 100% believers in a higher purpose and God Almighty. And this is what we talk about so what i like to do is obviously dr Bajwa. so how has it been you know how's your week been i mean we're starting the new year now this is pretty much i think yesterday was the first day that everyone got back into the swing of things but being a doctor you're probably working throughout the whole of the uh, seasonal greeting period right yeah um unfortunately um i mean we we have been through a phase where we have been suffering uh from uh, one infection to another yeah and that has led to uh, you know things combining together and a lot of pressure on the health services mm. particularly in uk uh we have a very <clears throat> um uh, is is with a very good reputation yeah. the national health service yeah. but uh, despite that, I think uh, whereas all the d other departments are also suffering, this has deteriorated, and that is because of the lack of resources, lack of funding, yeah. um, and that is a chronic problem. It's not an acute problem, but an acute problem has come, uh, which is difficult to deal with because we had COVID, yeah. we had an infection which is called Streptococcus yeah. um, A, which is, uh, which is again, uh, it, it is not a new infection. It is an old infection. It has been there for ages, uh, and it's very easy to treat, but because uh, here, particularly in, in UK, we are not used to having this infection, yeah. and most of the infections are viral infections, and, and we try to avoid the antibiotics yeah. because uh, of uh, the fear of 
uh, developing resistance to antibiotics, which we do not want. And therefore, most of the viral infections are not treated with the antibiotics. Yeah. Uh, whereas the, for, for treating this infection, that is very important. It's a very simple penicillin, which you require for this infection. But yeah. unfortunately, um, a few children have uh, have passed away yeah. be- just because of this infection. Yeah. And, and they, which... Uh, is is one of the reason for that is not that the antibiotic was not available, not that you know people could not recognize yeah. that early enough, but it is is just that the atmosphere here is that most of the things are viral, so they were not treated in right. time, they were yeah. not given uh, taken it easy, and that's that's why it has happened. So it it has been a difficult time, and people have welcomed this year because of uh, the new year. Yes, fantastic. And obviously you've been so busy. And thanks for that. And that's a topic that you and I will discuss in detail uh, on another time. Because, yes, I feel so much with you that uh, the policies that the government have put in place are largely due to that. But anyway, let's get back onto topic. Because in the second hour, we are asking our listeners, based on the, the question that we're asking, um, should it be, in a way, for people to become billionaires and we're asking this question online and actually it's kind of yes and no are kind of not far apart um but actually there is a caveat in there so i'll tell you what the options are yes completely yes but more tax not sure and not at all so we'll keep you updated on that as we go through our program today and um so, yeah, I mean, it's all kind of even keel at the moment. So let's get on to our topic then, Dr. Bajwa. So here we go. I gave a very, very short introduction as to why we were talking about it. Um, so as we as we as I'll ask uh, Dr. Bajwa to do the introduction, the kind of topics that we'll be talking here is about the wealth inequality based on income, the debt we have in our pocket, and actually being able to measure the inflation. And if you've got any questions about that we'll be talking to our experts both from um, economic perspective through that lens and also through an Islamic lens because we talk a lot about don't we Dr. Bajwa on this show about how important it is to maybe today is what we need is an Islamic system but anyway why don't we just get straight into the introduction so I'll let you just introduce um, you know the, the beginning of this show. Yeah of course wealth and inequality it refers to to the unequal distribution of assets in a yeah. group of people. And uh, when we look at this topic, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, overall on the international level, it is both at, at the both at the country level as well as at individual level. So we'll have to discuss both of them. So there is a widespread concern that wealth is not being fairly distributed and that the economic crisis has only widened the gap between rich and the poor. Publicly, public policy experts call income and wealth inequality one of the defining challenges of this century. And according to the World Bank in 2015, 10% of the world's population, or 734 million people, as you mentioned earlier, they lived on less than $190 yeah. a day, which it classifies as extreme poverty. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, the world's richest 1% have more than twice as much wealth as 6.9 billion people. In terms of taxation, 
only 4% of every dollar of tax revenue comes from taxes on wealth. Yeah, Doctor, when you, when you mentioned about this subject on the other side of the coin, we, can, we can't even comprehend how to live on a day of £1.90 a day. But when you then look at the other half, the other side of the coin, when you just mentioned about 1% of the richest people are more than twice as wealthy as 6.9 billion people. I mean, we know now there's about nearly arriving at what, about 8 billion people on this planet? Yeah, that's like two thirds of the population is um, where where the wealth is is held by one percent. That's astronomically mind blowing, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and 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 um, I think most of the people don't, are not even aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, because uh, you know that that one percent, um, they are the ones who are ruling the world, and. Uh, uh, they are always looking into whatever the policy comes in, as we are talking about taxes. Yeah. They are the ones who do not want to be um, sort of paying those taxes because they want to, to get richer. Uh, and and that's why this is you know money um, it attracts money so th that's why they are becoming more and more. Yeah. But we do do need a balanced system where you know Islam. Uh, as as we mentioned, we'll mm. be talking from the Islamic perspective as well because of the, because this is the purpose of this radio the, to 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 make people aware of the Islamic perspective yep. regarding these issues. And uh, as regards, you know, Islam gives a very clear guidance for the economic system, how mm. it should be run, and how you can create a balance. Because God Almighty says that. Everybody in this world, God Almighty, who is the creator, has provided the provision for him. And uh, it is the, the people who have, uh, because of the injustice, because of the, their, their own um, uh, sort of vested desires, and yep. um, they, they have created inequality. So it is a man-made inequality which has been created. Um, the creator has created for everybody and it should be and that is a guidance which has come from the creator which tells us that in your wealth there is a share for everybody else you don't keep it to yourself That's you right. have to distribute it you have to yeah. share with it and, and it also in, in here it says that islam puts massive um, emphasis on how you spend the money right and how you spend it in the way of god because it also says in the holy Quran, verse two um uh, sorry, uh, chapter 2, verse 263. Uh, Allah says this, he goes, They who spend their wealth for the cause of Allah then follow not up with what they have spent with taunt or injury. For them is their reward with their Lord, and I shall have no fear, nor shall they grieve. So what it's saying there is that those people hold the, hold all of the wealth. Actually, they're saying they're to spend it. You know, get that wealth circulating so everybody can benefit, right? Everybody can benefit. Yeah. Everybody can have share. Therefore, it is an obligation for every Muslim to share at least, uh, you know, whatever they are holding. There is a zakat. The zakat system is that 2.5% of whatever you have held over a year, you, you have to pay or give for the sake of those yep. who are in need. 
and uh, there is a, 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 a it has been de in details explained who are the the people who you sh should be paying and of course these are the people who get uh, the help from the social welfare system i mean uh, i've got a question have, for you Adams, yeah. because <clears throat> you you explained very eloquently the work you did during the the uh, christmas period and the new year period where people get back to work and we mentioned about the inequalities that kind of manifest themselves within the poor people did you besides the lack of education and the malnutrition did you see the people that you were treating seem to come from a deprived background more than anybody else um in the current situation yeah. it was from from all backgrounds right. people are coming from all backgrounds and the, and the reason is that uh, the bacteria or viruses they don't right. discriminate yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes of course i mean if you have a low immunity you have much more chance to get an infection and uh, of course uh, with your uh, with your economic background mm. you, you have the facilities to to get the you know the facility health facilities yeah. um, but here because uh, you know people have the availability of the national health service everybody can have an access to and uh, when you are depending on that then everybody you know suffers in this in the in the same yeah. way yeah got it <laughs> i, I that, that, thanks for that clarification mm -hmm. because uh, you're right at the moment Everybody, it doesn't matter yeah. wherever you turn, people yeah. who are on middle income, those who are work on lower income, those who work in the front, they're all suffering. I mean, I guess, you know, the cost of living is going through the roof. Inflation is hitting every pocket. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. So anyway, so, so let, let's just get into this wealth inequality because I wanted to talk a little bit about that before we talk to our first guest Jack Leslie who will be joining us later and he's an economist at the Resolution Foundation and it'd be really great to talk to him and get his views on it but we wanted to just cover a little bit about the wealth inequality Dr. Bodger. So wealth inequality between countries and between individuals yeah. within countries are among the biggest issues in the world. The terms, uh, in terms of wealth inequality between individuals, the richest global 1% own 46% of the global wealth according to inequality.org. Mm. So, and a projection produced by the House of Commons Library suggests that if trends seen since 2008 financial crash were to continue, then the top 1% will hold 64% of the world's wealth by 2030. So that is going to change yeah. enormously, isn't I it? I mean, not only is it going to change enormously, it's <laughs> heading in the same direction as we're seeing now. The rich are getting richer. It's like what you said at the beginning, is the people want to, once they get their money, they want to make more money. <laughs> Can't explain why they have all this money anyway. But look, that's the question we're asking on our um, Instagram question, isn't it? Is it okay for people to be billionaires? Do you like it or not? And what's the kind of feeling um, around that? So it'd be really good to share that uh, result uh, with you later on in in the program and also this thing by 2030 we're we've got so many aspirations haven't we for our for our uh, for our individuals by that time you probably want to be zero uh, carbon neutral in this country but not without the investment uh, that we need so also look if we look at our perspective in our 2018 um it only took and this is a brilliant statistic here. Yeah. 26 billionaires to hold as much of the wealth as the bottom 50% of the entire world. I mean, again, these are things are a little bit relative. If you wanted to, say, live, um, say, in Africa, in India, in these progressive countries, um, for us to be able to 
for example, like we do, buy a cup of tea in the morning every day, where it's probably at five pound. And if you want to add a croissant, some places in London it can be nine pounds so easily. But if you were to buy a cup of coffee, say in America, you wouldn't be spending that kind of money anyway. So there has to be some sort of relativity into this. But actually, it's still an extremely stark um, statistic there. Yeah, of course. Um, um, I mean, if you, if you if we we are always talking in relative terms, mm. you know, where we are living, what are what are we we are earning, what are what uh, do we hold, and how do we survive? Like somebody, um, uh, but but the problem is that the infl- inflation has gone so high in comparison to to the earnings that even in the um, developing countries, you see that. Uh, even the survival has become difficult. People, uh, you know, not to talk of uh, becoming rich or having the, a better quality of life, they are they are looking for their basic requirements, the food. They are not sure if they have uh, they have eaten in the morning. They are not sure whether they will get uh, an evening meal. Yeah, so so and and that is that is where the problem is that people are dying of hunger. Practically, there are people who are, uh, you, you know, he, who who are dying because they they can't get enough food. I mean, you talk about people dying as amazing, and also there's a new study that came out that our food banks yeah. that people are relying on are having to close because they can't afford the electricity, the gas bill, to heat the place for them to be... It's it's a broken system everywhere you look, and people are nicknaming this government as a blockage Britain, you know, trying to get a doctor's appointment, trying to get a a passport, trying to get your DVLA, uh, trying to get anything you want to do, get anyway. It's all all blockage anyway. So uh, we we have our guest um, who's joined us uh, today, and I wanted to just do a little bit of an uh, an intro to Jack Leslie, who's a senior economist at the Resolution Foundation, and he's joined he joined the foundation in June 2019, and and his work has been focusing on macroeconomics and wealth inequality, which is exactly what we're talking about today. And prior to joining the foundation, he worked at the Bank of England in the roles covering the bank reg, uh, regulations, inflation, and labour markets. Um, and Jack also he's got an MSc in economics uh, from Warwick University. So um, welcome to the Drive Time Show, Jack. Hey, good afternoon. Um, Jack, before I've got some questions I want to ask you, but I don't know if you listened to uh, the the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's uh, statement today, his relaunch. Uh, yes, I heard it. Yes, yeah. Well, one thing that um, I wanted to just try um, and understand a little bit, I'll ask you uh, a couple of questions on that, if you don't mind. But the first question that I wanted to get into is that, you know, what is, we've been trying to touch on it a little bit, you know, what is the depth of the current wealth inequalities that, you know, we've been alluding to, and we've given some statistics out in the UK, and actually then what are now we're seeing the consequences for? Yeah, so I think this is, you know, a crucial question for the country and for understanding kind of the lives that we're all living. So if we if we take a really long history of it, um, you know, back 100 years ago, the UK was, you know, a very unequal place. Um, you know, we had aristocrats, uh, you know, a very different life. And about, about the, you know, the richest tenth of families owned about 90% of all the wealth in the UK. Yeah. 
the big kind of trend in the 20th century was this kind of getting better, you know, things becoming more equal. But that stopped around 1980. And since then, it's been relatively kind of flat. And so what we have today is that the richest tenth of families in the UK own about half of all the wealth. So, you know, better than it was in the past, but, you know, we're still in a situation where there are huge kind of inequalities across people. And when we put that into a kind of international context, uh, the UK fares sort of really quite badly there. So if we look at the kind of pounds and pence gaps between the richest and poorest, the UK is probably the second highest uh, levels of wealth inequality uh, in the world relative to kind of, you know, uh, similar developed countries. Only the United States is worse. So we we are in in a kind of difficult position on that. Yeah, interesting. And, and, you know, we're, we're seeing this problem has been increasing over the time. Uh, Dr. Bajwa, he, he gave a stark statistic earlier on saying that it's going to, by 2030, it will be 64% rise in this, in this gap from what it is right now. I mean, why, uh, how has this problem increased over time? You know, what, what are we doing wrong? Are these the policies that are in place? So I think it's a combination of uh, things that have happened in the world. So a big thing that's gone on is interest rates have fallen, and that means uh, asset prices rise. So, I mean, that kind of quite jargony, but if you think about it, basically house prices have been going up. They've consistently gone up for the past, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And that means that the people who already were kind of lucky enough to hold wealth you know they own their own home they've seen the value of those things go up and that means that they've kind of benefited from having you know more, that more value of their wealth whereas people who haven't haven't been able to uh experience the same same benefits and yeah. so those kind of gaps have been increasing as we've seen interest uh, interest rates fall and asset prices rise I mean, that, that it, it's not just about kind of those things that have happened, but also we've kind of, as a country, the government, successful governments have made choices around, uh, you know, economic choices that means that we live in a more unequal society. Yeah. So uh, it used to be the case that higher income people paid quite a lot uh, higher rates of tax than they do today. Um, and we've continually sort of cut uh, benefits. Uh, and so, you know, we basically made poorer people uh, have lower incomes and rich people have seen their incomes rise. Yeah. And so, you know, if you don't have any money, you obviously can't put any savings in the bank. And that means that, you know, your wealth doesn't go up. Whereas if you're a rich person, you have more money now, you can put more money in the bank, you can save more. And so your wealth goes up. And so that you, we've seen the kind of the point, you know, the choices the government's have made over time have made it worse as well. Yeah. Uh, just before Dr. Vajra uh, asks his question, uh, I said to you, I'll ask a question about uh, the Prime Minister's statement. One of the things he said is that he will guarantee to half inflation. Uh, but I, I thought it was the Bank of England that had that responsibility. Am I right? Yeah, so the government, uh, how it kind of, you know, they run runs inflation policy is that they have told the Bank of England to set interest rates to get inflation back to 2%. So, you know, basically already that's the plan. And in fact, if you look at uh, forecasters, uh, both kind of, you know, private sector, you know, uh, economic, you know, think tanks, things like that, uh, and also the government's own forecast, we're kind of expecting inflation to fall back you know, halve over the course of this year anyway. So it's not really uh, saying anything uh, new, particularly there. And also, you know, it was already kind of policy to get government, uh, to get inflation back down. So, Jack, how does the banking system add to the current problem? 
So I think, yeah, this, the banking banks have a kind of an important role to play in, uh, you know, people saving, um, and so and also kind of their ability to, uh, you know, get on the housing ladder, which is a really key way that people do build up wealth over time. You know, if you're managing to borrow, and then you pay down your mortgage, and that means you end up, you know, kind of you hope by retirement, if you were lucky enough to buy a house, you know, you uh, you, uh, you know have more wealth there. Um, what, one of the kind of big things that happened after the financial crisis where banks had kind of basically, you know, taken way too much risk, they'd gone into difficulty, had to be bailed out by the government. Uh, they've cut back on, on, on what they can lend. You know, rules have been, have been tighter, interest rates fell, so people were getting less money on their, uh, less return on their savings, and people found it harder to get a mortgage. has meant that, you know, basically we've locked in people who were already lucky enough to have to own their house, they, they've kind of done well. Yeah. If you haven't, you know, it's been much harder to save. You know, you've got less money back on, on your savings. And so it, it's kind of, and it's been harder to get a mortgage. So, you know, we've seen it much harder kind of basically to build up that wealth if you weren't already in a good position prior to, to kind of 2008, 2009. So, um, you know, you, you work for resolutionfoundation.org. So what does this, uh, what, what, what work does it do? And uh, how do you help those who are in need? Yeah, so uh, we are uh, uh, an independent research organization. What we do kind of day-to-day -day is uh, look at what the data says. We do research to kind of understand inequalities uh, in the UK and how things might be able to kind of change to make things better. So um, we kind of write reports, publish them, uh, that kind of making recommendations to the government um, and, you know, talking about it in, in kind of the media like this. Um, to, to kind of uh, you know help people understand what what is going on uh, in, in the world. Yeah. Um, just just before we let you go, Jack, we've got uh, just a, a final kind of question uh, for you. But but I just wanted to just add a pretext to it because the only way people, most people in this world, can increase their wealth is by actually working and working hard and earning their money and obviously investing. But there are still many people um, in this world who are obviously on the other side of the coin who are extremely wealthy, sometimes are, are gifted uh, things in, in the world. Uh, when their parents pass away, they're able to leave big assets for them. And not many people have that opportunity. So it's always really difficult. And, and this divide that we, we see, this, this kind of inequality, is always going to be there, right? I mean, how are we going to bridge that gap? I think that this is a really, really important point. And, and actually, it's, it's something that hasn't always been exactly the same. If you go back, say, 40 years, mm. um, incomes were at a level that you could reasonably save your way to kind of buying a house. You could move up the kind of economic ladder, as it were, um, because, you know, wealth inequality was lower, you know, uh, incomes uh, were a bit higher, kind of average incomes were a bit higher. So, uh, you know, we the sort of things were kind of a bit better now. Now, today, it's basically impossible, really, particularly if you're kind of in a high housing cost area like London, to get on the housing ladder without help from your parents, whether it's an inheritance or a gift. And so we've moved to a world where, you know, who your parents are matters way more than it used to. And so we're kind of locking in existing inequalities for future generations. 
and you know that has lots of implications right because you know if you think that you can't get on the housing ladder maybe that means you go well I, i'm not actually going to put as much work, effort into work i'm not going to try to earn as much money because it's not going to help anyway yeah. and so i think you know there are lots of kind of second sort of round effects say of, of of that kind of inequality meaning that people can't don't feel like they can make, make advancements in life and i think that's that's pretty harmful for, for how we all feel yeah, I mean, and all of that then keeps stemming to education. And today, there was another thing that was announced about the maths uh, problem. People are not uh, getting educated, and and there is some alarming statistic that primary school teachers, the majority of them, do not even have an O level or CSE maths because they don't need it. And I assume the way you and I were taught, and forgive me if I'm assuming you're uh, around my age, but when we were taught maths we were taught to learn the numbers to learn our tables but uh, and actually you know what is uh, uh, seven times seven and what is 12 times and you and you learnt the numbers we didn't actually understand them do you think today as we've moved forward as the economy is changing the the way we think is different do you think the maths thing is should be about just learning trigonometry it should be understanding what the a maths mean like I'm going to have a mortgage. I'm going to have a seven percent interest. Forty. Am I going to be able to afford it? Do you think it needs to change? Are you understanding with what he's saying? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we're we're living in a world where kind of you know data is a bigger deal. It's a bigger part of people's jobs, yeah. and so kind of numeracy, uh, people understanding numbers, and uh, it is becoming more important. So you know, it's I think you know it's inevitable really that we're going to have to do kind of more education for kids on maths, uh, and this is kind of one way of doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the financial literacy thing is really important. You know, lots of people don't, uh, you know, immediately understand what an interest rate is, what it means when they take out a loan, all of those things, and that's totally understandable, right? These are, you know, these aren't necessarily words that we use every day, and some of the maths can be quite hard. Yeah. And so, yeah, doing more to kind of help people at school age to kind of understand how these things add up can, can I think, be really helpful for yeah for how people kind of do their financial planning as they go through their life. Yeah, and I think it's become more and more important. Well, look, we've taken uh, enough of your time today, uh, Jack. Let's really appreciate you joining us today and, and you know, give, really adding some gravitas to our conversation that we're having today. Thank you very much, much for your time. Thanks a lot. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so that was uh, Jack Leslie. He's a senior economist at the Resolution Foundation. And uh, also his speciality is focusing on macroeconomics and wealth inequality. So, um, Mike, a very interesting conversation, right? It's kind of kind of <coughs> depicted what we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it end of the day, it, uh, it all uh, you know depends on the um, the leaders who think and plan things uh, appropriately. And if that is not done, then obviously uh, the society as a whole is going to suffer, um, uh, not only at at the society, at the country level, but also at the individual level. Uh, because you see nowadays people, uh, because they can't even think of getting a mortgage and getting a house, you know, no matter, even those who are high-earning people in this country, at the moment, they can't imagine to to have a mortgage yeah. so that they can buy their own house. Yeah. And they're dependent either, you know, some source, maybe parents, maybe yeah. some other source, or they just become dependent on the on the help from the government. And they become dependent rather than um, sort of uh, having their share 
in the development of the the country and the society as a whole yeah. they become dependent and they become uh, and this is where i think things need to change because um if the system is such that you are not encouraging people to work yeah. rather you are discouraging them because if if they uh, you know you you give them uh, um, sort of a, a house to live in and they think that and if they start working you take it away from them rather than giving you know giving a part of it or taking a portion of it or asking them to contribute a part of it yeah. um they say oh if i work i am uh, you know i'm worse yeah. so so it doesn't encourage them to no, work no it, yeah. it doesn't and, and that's where uh, this is a very challenging time for people i'll give you a really good example as to what's happening with the housing market for example you know there are some areas outside london in london uh, within a space of time there you've got people who you know, big houses or houses which is worth a lot of money and you've got people in say for example social housing or or housing that's been built for uh, single uh, single people and you think about right so if i've got lots and lots of money um and i get no support from the government because i have an income or if i'm an elderly person on a pension yeah. who probably paid off their their houses who doesn't uh, qualify for help what, you know they're they're stuck Then you've got people who have no ambition, or not necessarily no ambition, but are in a situation where they're unable to work, or they've been in this cocoon nest, I call it, unable to get an education, or their generations of receiving benefit. They don't have enough money. Therefore, they they have to live in social housing, um, and they're unable to spend their way or earn the money to, to raise there. So what you're finding is that everyone is suffering. And it's a bit like what you said about the virus. The virus doesn't care who you are. Yeah. And it doesn't matter about inflation. It's yeah, about who you are. The, the cost of living is affecting everybody. So, you know, this is Except a situation. Except the 1%. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you forget yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. So, so one of the other kind of areas that you can distinguish between people's inequality is, so, for example, someone might be able to hold a lot of debt. Yeah. So you've got a credit card. Someone might be able to have a, a credit card uh, bill for about... Ten thousand pound and not have to worry about it, or they start a business, they've invested, but they they can afford it. Whereas you've got some people who can't even who struggle with having a hundred pound on their credit card. So these are ways that you can kind of understand the 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 inequalities that the people have, although they're in debt, but they can they can manage it. Or uh, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I think that's that's one that's one thing which is. Uh, um islam has discouraged and yes. that is the interest that um, you know you are you are buying uh, you are you, you are buying things which you can't afford to just because you have the availability of credit and no matter you you you, you get into this chain of uh, interest which goes on and on and and you think that uh, <clears throat> uh, you, you know it, apparently you are getting all the the facilities or uh, whatever you, you know you think that oh i uh, i need this something new something uh, uh, which which is not a requirement but which is something which is luxurious and just because of the society and your peers they are uh, you know pressure that you 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 tend to borrow the money and um, it is of course uh, you're getting into this chain of interests 
and uh, and and you never come out of that. Yeah. And that that you see uh, for generations, so you you won't be able. To. But but what happens is that sometimes they um, they declare them as as a defaulter. They they can't pay back, and right. and then. Uh, uh, who is going to suffer? It's going to it's, it's the state is going to suffer yeah. because end of the day, if they are not they, they declare they can't pay it, uh, it is you know somebody ha- it has come from somewhere and it won't be uh, you know won't be given back. I mean, it's a really interesting uh, point you make there because actually interest on money isn't is quite a relatively new concept. If you look back in in the Islamic faith, you look back in the Christianity faith, all the Abrahamic faith. There was no interest, really, uh, on money. It's only, I think, at the head of the uh, 19th century, someone might be correct me, but actually relatively, in a long span of things, it's a new thing. And here's the thing. If you wanted to go and get a, a loan from a bank to start a business, so here's the risk. The bank has no risk. The bank says, yeah, of course you can have the money. Yeah, no problem. Course. Here's your money, but you give me the interest on it. So not only do you have to take the money that the bank loans you, you have to make money from it, and while you're making money from it, that money then has to the, be paid back the interest to the bank. So the bank's sitting there, all, all no problem. It's perfectly okay. The bank can loan the money, charge its interest. There's no collaboration where Islamic um, concept of kind of like the banking system is more of a collaborative one, right? Yeah, uh, uh, the Islamic system is that, you know, in fact, there's, there's, um, there's no concept that you should be uh, it should be like made compulsory that you should pay uh, uh, an interest. Yeah. Of course, you know, if you agree that, you know, I will pay you this much extra, hmm. you know, if you borrow me, uh, if I can borrow this from money from you, uh, when you return, uh, and it's up to you if you can return, you know, because you have earned out of it, you can uh, re- return extra. But there is no compulsion because if you can't put you you can't put a certain percentage that okay I'll pay and you have to pay me back this much yeah. more. So this interest because it goes on and on it is very very difficult for a person. And another thing is that of course the banks then when they uh, at at a certain stage you see this is this has happened right in front of our eyes that there was there was a stage where. You know the banks were going out and asking anybody. Anybody wants money. You know that's what happened in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Do you want? Do you need money? Do you want money? And people are buying buying houses. And then because practically they, it was not possible for them to return that money or pay the mortgage. So so most of the the houses they they went back and the economy suffered overall. And then we have got into this stage where it is impossible. It's become impossible to 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 go back to on your feet and uh, having the even the basic needs. So um, the decline in the purchasing power of money that has been uh, you know this is the current issue this is this has become uh, a big issue even um, you know throughout the world not yeah. only in the developed world but everywhere mm. everywhere uh, uh, for example I, I can give you an example of uh, you know Pakistan for example yeah. that the dollar you know a pound is 274 rupees so how much is now uh, yeah it's 274 rupees so for 274 rupees, you know, what can you buy? The, the thing is that, you know, the, those are the days where we, we, we could buy for, for one rupee, uh, you know, even even less than that, you can you could buy a cup of tea, you could have a, a you know, um, have a breakfast within that. But now, you know, you, you think even the beggars, they, they, sometimes if you give them 100 rupees, they will refuse it because they, they, they think there's no buying power yeah. in that one. So this 
this is like a um, a state where you are uh, living in a world which is uh, um, like you are in a fool's paradise that you you think that you are millionaire but practically what is the buying value of your mon- money that is that is very very important and there are certain um, reasons for that why that has happened yeah yeah i mean i mean that's one of the reasons why many of the um, people um, our public service people from the NHS to the uh, train drivers uh, to doctors, nurses, you name them. Um, there's, a, there's a list I can wheel them off. It's because their real term income has dropped, although it they're getting dropped. an increase. Considerably because yeah. um, as far as the NHS is concerned, because I'm, uh, I'm directly affected by yeah. it. So <laughs> for, the, for the last 10 years, yeah. there is there is total freezing. There is no increase in the income. Yeah. And uh, if you compare the inflation, of obviously their income has dropped, yeah. um, even if you know, even if it has been stable, but it has actually right. dropped. And yeah. the the buying power, they don't have the you know even for the basic needs. That's why they're asking at the yeah. moment five percent plus the inflation rate, so they can at least have a, um, a a decent income to be able to afford. And that's where you've got other. Uh, the RMT workers. And if you pay the gas and uh, electricity bill, then uh, you had it, yeah, because... Well, <laughs> all that support is going soon, right? So yeah, what's going to happen yeah, yeah. when, when yeah. that support goes? That's another kind of question. But that, again, uh, exacerbates the, the situation that we're having with this inequality. Um, there is this interesting thing I wanted to just mention to you um, in here. It says, look, in, in the 47 years since 1971... The money supply has increased by 67 times and it's been growing uh, around 11.5% a year. And the Bank of England uses this measure of inflation, they call it um, the CPI, and then that kind of tracks the prices of certain everyday consumer goods. And these are things like your bread, your milk, um, your eggs, your tobacco, all the things you use on a a daily basis. Um, And then this... uh, but, but what the CBI only measures the effects of around 10% of the newly created money. And what it means is that when you, at a point of when you buy something and sell something and there is an interest, that's where the most value is made. So later on, as you go further down the food chain, there's less value, less money in it. So that's where it kind of tracks all of that. But, it, it, but the other thing it does, it ignores the property and the financial assets. So it's what you mentioned earlier, yeah, you know, absolutely. about the property prices are going up, but you haven't done anything. You know, <laughs> so, but but the value is increasing, but that's not what it, what it measures. And where 77% of the newly created money has ended up, so a lot of this has been unchecked. And this is why we've allowed our house prices and the inflation to run away. So that kind of something that probably needs to be looked at. But there are the consequences of, of, of wealth of well, inequality as a whole mm. as well. Because And that is why I think yeah. we, uh, we talked earlier about Islam. That Islam, um, <clears throat> although it allows that you can earn money, you can work hard, you can do businesses, you can make as much money as you like. But at the same time, it has put certain conditions that, you know, it is also your responsibility if 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 you are able to to uh, have, uh, you know, enough money, then there is a share which uh, Islam has given that as a whole, you are also responsible to take your part into uh, looking after the people who are in need and who are unfortunate 
that they, they cannot afford themselves, their food, their basic needs, and, and you have to create um, uh, a fund, which is uh, the central fund, has to be created. And that is what Zakat goes to the center. And the center, that means the government is responsible to provide it equally to those people who are in need. Yeah. And that, that is the best social care system which Islam so has So you offered. mentioned Zakat. Yeah. Zakat is one of the pillars of Islam. Islam. Yeah, right? that's, that's there, the there are five. Yeah. Um, and uh, one is to, to believe in God that uh, God is the is is worthy and is um, there's none worthy of worship besides God and that Prophet Muhammad uh, is, is his, his messenger. messenger. And then there's the well, a lot of people know about fasting. A lot of people know about our prayers, known yeah, as salat. Yeah. Um, and then they talk about this zakat and then our hajj. So that is very instrumental to the pillars of Islam. Yeah. And that's one of the things that help reduce this inequality, right? So by having that zakat, it's, it's like a welfare system, right, that we have in Absolutely. the UK. Yeah. But actually zakat had this welfare system brought into practice over 1,400 years ago. And then again, um, the important thing is that for zakat, it is not on your monthly income. Yeah. It is on the on holding. It is for the whole year. If you have certain assets for the whole year and you kept that, you have not used it for anybody. For example, even the jewelry, yeah. the women who have the jewelry, if that jewelry is used by certain people, some people borrow it and use it, for example, on their functions, um, then you are uh, you're not. Uh, it's not a must for you to pay the zakat on that. But uh, so that it, because it has been shared. So if you have kept the jewelry, but it is not being used, it's just kept as an asset, then you have to pay uh, zakat on that, on the 2.5%. So you can you can contribute to uh, to helping others uh, as well. So uh, so it is not limited or it's not uh, blocked. Yeah. So, so Islam actually discourages to hold any sort of, even the food items, you know, because just just in order to gain profits, if some it is forbidden that you you should hold uh, the grain or hold the uh, um, the food items. Yeah, hoarding, uh, yeah, and that's hoarding. what a lot of people yeah. Yeah. tend to do. It's just just to gain their profits or multiply their profits, yeah. basically. And 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 that's the the thing with inflation, right? Uh, we've always tried to have an inflation, as the economists tell us, what we've learned uh, doing this kind of topics, is that 2% is ideal. 2% is one of those kind of inflationary targets that give just enough confidence in the market so people don't hold their money and they spend it. To those people, when they spend it, it, it helps to, to circulate the money. Absolutely. So, And you mentioned 2.5%, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly which is a very similar kind of... Uh, correlation between the two yeah. and it's very interesting that you mention that that concept and that's that's kind of how it always reminds me of of that when we know that that's the kind yeah. of uh, big aim we do so we're now moving into the territory of like the islamic economic system here aren't we and you've alluded to some really practical examples but effectively what what um and you, you can add on to it as well is that it's it's there for the wealth to be distributed um equitably uh, amongst the, the population uh, as much as possible so you can balance the needs and the wants of individuals against the others in society. And effectively what it's saying is that if you're a wealthy individual, um, then it's okay. You should be, in a way, taxed to spread the wealth, but relatively it's for your poor, but you should still feed into the system and try and, and reduce that gap. So that's always been its intention. 
Yeah, because that gives you a feeling that you are part of, you are, um, you know, wherever um, in the society, wherever, at whatever level you are, you are contributing to the running of the society, to, yeah. the, uh, to the development and progress of the society. So you feel that responsibility. And again, <clears throat> somebody who is uh, <clears throat> wealthy enough, then um, he feels the responsibility and he, he also gets the respect in the society and the owner. And uh, obviously Islam also um, emphasizes that, you know, whatever wealth you are gaining, you have to make sure that this wealth is pure and it has been um, the resources which you use. You are not usurping anybody's rights. Yes. You are, you are fair. You are, uh, uh, you know, you are doing it with justice. You are uh, not uh, taking away the rights of others. So, um, so that is that is how it becomes pure and becomes uh, um, uh, sort of you. You give uh, the society gives you an honor because you have earned it in a respectable way. Yeah. So, so that is very, very important. And, and I like the way you, you explained that because, and also you earlier you didn't just put it down to money in your bank. You know, you gave it a good example of, of the wheat, the flour, the cattle, yeah. um, livestock, everything you have. Um, and it kind of gives it into a, a practice of this um, community kind of based solution and it's islam in what you're saying isn't therefore purely based on a capitalistic kind of uh way of of, of a banking system is it it also uh includes a socio-economic system as well where you're looking at the welfare of people but we're, we're seeing the inequalities in the welfare system as well but it, it's something that we probably need to delve in a lot more as well and and obviously from a really um, from an Islamic point of view, it, it it does explain from an Islamic perspective that all the money that is spent following the guidelines that God Almighty has provided is deemed as an act of worship and merits a reward. Because you said earlier that you make you feel good part of a part of a community as well. Because um, we do talk so much about you know you, you raise. Um, a child with a community, you know, you don't raise it by yourself. So, so many of the things uh, are involved, and therefore, it, it becomes that responsibility of spending the wealth and allocating the resources, and that's also a duty of Islam. And also, what we try and do, I think, many governments have tried so hard to um, de uh, devolution, like meaning, give power back down to the local. Um, areas in the cities like we've had so many mayors to try and spread the wealth so they will be able to know how to spend it but uh, how to spend the money more appropriately for the needs uh, but that, that that's something that, that is really important right yeah absolutely uh, <clears throat> the thing is that um, uh, islam has given has created a balance between you know it's not purely um, like a uh, you know so socialist uh, system and yep. it's not a capitalist system yeah. it's something in between it gives you your freedom it gives you freedom to work hard it encourages you to work hard and earn more money to contribute more and at the same time it also distributes mm. uh, you know whatever you are earning also to share it with the other people uh, who have not been su successful in some way or they are uh, not fortunate enough or they are disabled or in they they are they are in need and they are uh, sort of that, that they belong to that group of society which is uh, on the lower hand yeah. they, 
So, so and, and Islam, you know, there is a there is a hadith of the yeah. and that's the saying of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And he says that always uh, the hand which is the upper hand is better than the hand which is lower. That means that if you are giving, that is uh, Allah. Um, likes that that hand which is giving rather mm. than one which is taking. Yeah, and I think when when we um, are raising our children, and the kind of the way that we were taught, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong, but we were always kind of taught to be givers as opposed to receivers, Absolutely. and and that was always like, oh, can I help you? Or right the way down to helping a lady cross the road to. Uh, what, what, what is it that you need from me that I can help your day be better? Or if you're being competitive in sports, it doesn't matter to always have to win. But if you can win together, you're, you're, you're stronger. So all these things about having the mindset of being a giver as opposed to a receiver, it, it's the same thing that many people are going to, um, and I'm not trying to play politics here as well. We know we talk about the social benefit system, but people 100%, they're disabled, they're unable to work, they're, they're in a situation where they haven't had the uh, the correct education. Like elderly people, they're right. all in need, yeah. Yeah, th there are. But but um, the, the thing is, they will be receiving, but the social welfare system is there to help people in need when they need it. And by the time, when, say you have a, a very good job and suddenly you're made redundant, many people are being made redundant. The social welfare system is there to help people. Absolutely. But what we can't, do we have to find ways to help people not have to be part of the social welfare system to be in it from generations to generations and how do we do that is education is one of those right we need to invest in education absolutely that mm. that's what uh, you know one one point you made that it's important to educate people yeah and then and um, you know education of children is a responsibility not only of an individual mm. but but as a society as a whole that's right it's yeah. a responsibility for the government to to make sure that people are educated yeah. and they have enough uh, facilities the basic facilities yeah. and if you look at the you know the 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 the, the caliphate of islam hazrat umar uh, the second caliph uh, may allah be pleased with him mm. you know he used to travel you know uh, at night he would go around and he would see if anybody was in need if anybody and and just to know that you know what are the needs of people yeah. where uh, we uh, you know the, the the government is failing so that he can compensate for that and he could do something about it and he yeah. said that i am responsible if a dog dies hungry um, you know on, on this area which is for which i'm responsible i'm going to be questioned by god right. It's that that's really powerful okay. that because we are we do have responsibility and actually the founder of our community the Ahmadiyya Muslim community the promised Messiah may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him um, he he kind of explained a little bit more about the concept of zakat which you mentioned which is one of one of the five pillars of Islam and he said that zakat is there to alleviate the suffering and I really appreciate this comment where it talks about the suffering of the poor yeah. where people require it to when you're in need and, and you need to really get going um, to it so so then what is uh, zakat you know what what because that's to help alleviate the suffering of the poor. And he says that it's taken from the rich and given to the poor, as we've been talking about. And then Sagat then teaches us the highest level of human sympathy, is what we've been talking about, right? It's yeah, about how we can help people to be better. Let's be, um, let's be 
givers rather than receivers in a way. Um, and By if the I, way, what was the result of your uh, questionnaire? Right, we're, we're just going to get results uh, that are coming through and I'll, we'll, we'll hand it uh, right at the end. But just in, in conclusion, I think we've come right come to the top of the hour, so we might have to give the results, uh, Dr. Sam, at the in the beginning of the second hour. But I, I did want to just end with a quote from our second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin, who is the second successor of the promised Messiah, may peace uh, be upon him. And he said, the essence of economic system in Islam lies in the appropriate combination of individual freedom with state intervention. It also allows the state intervention a a certain extent, but it also provides the individual's freedom. A proper balance between these two defines the Islamic economic system. The individual freedom is granted to enable persons to build up assets and spend them voluntarily in order to gain the spiritual benefits in life to come. State intervention, on the other hand, is provided in order to protect the poor from economic exploitation by the wealthy. That is a a wonderful kind of explanation as to uh, just imagine the, the foresight of when this was said and how we are uh, today. It's, it's just amazing. Well, anyway, we're, we're coming up to the top of the hour. We will be giving you the results to our question we're asking on Instagram. If any of that has interest you, uh, myself, Hanif, and Dr. Bajwa uh, Saab is here in the studio. We can take your call. You can give us a call on 0208 And obviously, you can share the um, the website where you can listen live uh, www.voiceofislam.co.uk and always you can get through to us on our social media platforms all the way from Twitter to TikTok to uh, Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. So um, for our listeners around the world, here is the five o'clock news. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show and thank you for staying with us. And uh, like you and like uh, Dr. Bunch, uh, we found that first hour very interesting. And it's a subject that we could probably talk on for hours and hours. And it was wonderful to be able to speak with Jack Leslie, who... Um, was gave us some fantastic insight into this topic that we had as a senior economist at the Resolution Foundation. But we will now be moving on to our second topic of the second hour, and that is faith. Are we losing our religion? And just trying to understand that a little bit more. And we will be talking to our other guests in the hour as well, I look forward to talking to an um, Islam who's the Assistant National President of the Lajna Imalana Norway and a lawyer as well. So this is from our lady side of our community, the National President in Norway. Um, and then we'll be talking to Imran Hameyun, who is an Educational Secretary of our community as well. And also then we have Bushra Humabati, who is a, a teaching assistant at a local outreach secretary of our community as well. So we're looking forward to speak to them on 
on this on this topic because it's a very interesting topic when you look at back in november in 2022 the bbc published a report on the census of 2021 and it was reported for the first time that there are fewer than half of the people in england and wales who describe themselves as christian and therefore during this hour we want to discuss what some of the potential reasons for this decline could be and how the report was compiled and and why the youth is moving away from faith and and you know this is all faith not only just christianity you've got all of the abrahamic faiths you've got the sikhism you've got uh, hinduism zoroastrian you name them this question is about you know faith are, are we losing our religion although we have this statistic that the BBC published in their census for 2021 and reporting that half of the people in England and Wales described themselves as Christians and it's fewer than half uh, so which is alarming especially for someone who believes in faith and many of our listeners who follow Voice of Islam uh, would be worried about that because faith is something that's uh, you know is a way of life for us and uh, we benefit from having that faith and uh, being spiritual wherever we can and how we strive towards it as well because you know I, you know you can be understand like the benefits of uh, religion and being spiritual and they can have on a person and what role religion plays or should be played in a society and we spoke about the welfare system in the first hour which is very much similar to one of the pillars of islam which is zakat so it's you know what role does that have in society as well and it says in chapter 65 verse 3 it says he who believes in allah and the last day and he who fears allah he will make for them or for him a way out so let's start off um this hour but as always you can get in touch with us the normal way uh, by giving us a call on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and give us a call in the studio if if you want to contribute to this subject uh, by all means do so and obviously if something in the previous hour interests you as well uh, give us a call send us a message or send a, a say tweet and the teams are there uh, ready to respond and we can have a conversation with you as well so we are going to now just um, start off and look at this report in a bit more detail because, as I said earlier, fewer than half of the people in England and Wales describe themselves as Christians. So that is more than 50%. I mean, we have nearly, uh, it's about, what, 70 million people in England and Wales now, is it? I think it's around that much, and they say half of nearly less than half of them now, uh, you know, consider themselves as Christians. And and this report, we you know we're going to delve deeper into it because every, every census on this type of questionnaires happens every ten years by the Office of National Statistics, and then the census explores how British society is being shaped from people's answers to the questions that they ask them, and then. They ask them about their households and 
everything about their homes and their families and get a real in-depth uh, knowledge of them. And that's just a question based on that. But this um, um, questionnaire that goes out, the census, uh, we recently did it and we're expecting results not just on this subject, but also you know, on on subjects like you know how many schools are in the area, how many cars do you have, how many um, people are going to the school. So, and that's how the UK government is yeah, able to decide on housing. Yeah. Obviously, they are. Yeah. I mean, more and more statistics would come as they analyze it more and, yeah. and go into the further details. Because that's the thing with yourself, isn't it? Um, being um, being a doctor and actually having a, a general practice. So where do we allocate the general practice? There's no point having three or four in an area where the population and the schools and the children and the families aren't. So that's how you kind of manage it because you've got to know the statistics. So, um, you know, this... Um, this proposition of people who said that they were uh, Christians and the statistics was 46.2% uh, down from 593 uh, That's a swing of more than nearly 15% uh, since the last census in 2011. Uh, that, that's a big swing. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I think we should be a bit cautious that, you know, it, it's also dependent on the way you que you ask questions <laughs> <laughs> as well. As it, is, it can be easily, uh, you know, it can easily misguide you as well that, you know, the way you ask a question, whether uh, whether you believe in God or not, yeah. whether you believe in Allah, maybe they are two different questions. Yeah. See, so, right. so, so, so it can be, uh, it can be because there, there, there may be lots of people who, who were born in a Christian family, and that's why they 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 consider themselves to be Christians, and they said that they were Christian, but then um, they decided that no, they can make a decision now, although they were born in Christians, but they are no more Christians, yeah. and they they prefer to be uh, you know uh, without a faith, or they are atheist, or they are uh, you know, but but still there is a a lot high percentage of people who still believe in spirituality. Yeah. They believe in somebody who listens to prayers, yeah. because uh, you know that is a, that, that is in nature. That's a natural instinct, and that is why I think the one reason why, um, um, and that has been given by the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, based on the teachings uh, of the the holy prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he says that that Islam is the religion uh, of instinct, your nature tells you that this is right. Yeah. And that's why, because, uh, you know, you, you need evidence. Your mind is made as such that it asks questions. Yeah. And unless you are satisfied, you, you know, you, you don't agree to to believe in something which your mind does not agree with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you raise a very valid point, and, and there uh, it says in the notes here that the actually the by ticking no religion on the yeah. questionnaire, it didn't mean that you have no beliefs, right? Yeah. Yeah, it also, uh, and people may be atheists and others may be spiritual, but it doesn't belong to a certain faith. So you're right to question the yeah, statistics, yeah, the matter, results it does, it does matter, yeah, of what it actually use. means. But like I said in my introduction as well, it's not so much that 
it's the 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 people in England and Wales are there is this swing. It's it's more concerning for us people who are and listeners who believe in God Almighty, believe in a higher purpose, and are people of faith. It's worrying for them as much as it is for for anybody else, right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 the thing is that if you see the um, the um, the statistics on the on the international level, um, the biggest growing religion today um, has been considered to be Islam. Uh, because the more people they are, uh, you know, they have become inquisitive and they have asked questions and the awareness about Islam and um, this question um, has been raised in the minds of people uh, because of the media. The, the media, in whatever way it is, uh, it portrays Islam, but it raises questions in the minds of people and they ask questions about Islam yeah. and then when they investigate and they do the research and those who are really sincere in finding the truth they they find the truth and they they convert yeah. and and that is what that is why it is happening and, and if you further analyze and that is also i mean it is in the statistics that um, the, uh, the sect of islam which is the highest people are converting to mm. is again the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting conversation that you say there. Um, look, just before we speak to Anam Islam, who's waiting uh, on, on hold right now, uh, we, we were discussing in the break, weren't we? I mean, if you look at how Islam is being portrayed, especially in the West, you, you you can imagine why people think I mean I do not want to be part of this religion. It sounds to me it's aboric and it's how can you think about decapitating one's head is is Islam? But yeah. you and I and our listeners of Voice of Islam Radio know that that is not the Islam. Yeah. In fact, it's not even Islam. And, and for that matter, I mean, this is many things which are being done in so-called Islamic countries, yeah. um, and and that's that's why people take the example of and they say, oh well, this is. This is Islamic country. This is Islamic country. This is happening. This is what is happening there. So, but but the thing is that that is not not Islam. The Islam, if you if you want to know about yeah. Islam, it is to, through the Holy Quran, and it is the holy founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community who claimed that he has been sent in this age, uh, this period of time because. People had misunderstandings about Islam, and yeah. he has come to clarify them. And that's a very perfect point then to bring our guest, who's been uh, waiting with us, and, and who is Anam Islam, who is the Assistant National President of the Female or the Ladies Imala, or like the the community there in Norway, and is also a lawyer as well. Um, Sister Anam, welcome to the Drive Time Show, and thank you very much for joining us today. No, you're most welcome. So, you, I don't know how much of the show you've been listening to at the moment. We've we've been saying that for the first time, fewer than half of the people in England and Wales describe themselves as Christians. Uh, what do you think has led uh, people uh, away from religion? Um, first of all, I think it's um, it's it's becoming a problem for more countries than just England and Wales. I've been reading reports about how it is uh, becoming and and people are moving further and further away from religion in other countries as well, especially in the Western world. And I think the reason for it is quite similar for the majority of the people. It's a combination of things, basically. I would say people think that they are able to achieve many heights in their material life and they feel that it's all coming from thin air and they don't need God to achieve all that they get promoted at work uh, by just doing sometimes they get promoted at work for doing the bare minimum or they 
um, win the lottery or they their kids get into good schools or or they are able to find a good spouse or they are able to buy the car that they've been wanting to buy. Obviously, there's a lot of hard work uh, in, in gaining material wealth in general, but many people still find it to be an easy way of getting things without having to believe in something. Uh, and it's also... I would also say it's also because of the way the media portrays religion, where it emphasizes all the negativity surrounding it. Um, and people a lot of time, unfortunately, people forget that it's the media's job to say things that generates clicks. They will highlight bad people's actions and try connecting them to their background, try connecting them to their religion. They will always try to, for instance, I remember there used to be tons of media articles about um, the Catholic Church and, and the, the, the certain priests and, and people working in Catholic churches that were being caught for, for doing inappropriate, um, being involved in inappropriate acts. And they would try connecting it to, to the Catholic faith, to Christianity. And then you have terrorist attacks happening over the world. People are connecting to, um, to Islam just because of the way the media portrays the article where it emphasizes the backgrounds of, of the, those people doing those bad things. Yeah. And, and that's unfortunately a big part of it. And it's also, unfortunately, also because many religious communities aren't doing enough uh, to remind people about the goodness of religion. Yeah. Some are doing better than others, but I would say, for instance, I would like to to um, highlight our own community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on this uh, this, um, this department, especially where the outreach work and where working for the communities is very much highlighted and it is very focused on and emphasized and do it all the time. And just, just, just to take a very, very small example, for instance, New Year just passed. Um, actually, not a small example at all. We had New Year's Eve, and the next day you had people um, people from all over Europe out on the streets early morning uh, on on New Year's Day, helping out to clean up the streets yeah. after the the parties that yeah. were being held out on the streets. And I went to work yesterday, and my colleagues aren't religious at all, but literally all of them came up to me and they were like, was that your community that was on the news yesterday? Yeah, right. it was, it right. was. And people were highlighting it and they were bringing it up and then that started conversations about the community yeah. and then I started telling them about Islam. Like those tiny actions mean so much and have a lot to say in the way people look at religion or look at religious communities. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, many communities are ignoring that and they are too closed up into themselves and not teaching people about the goodness of religion. Yep. So they need to be more focused on that. And lastly, I would say it's also because people think that they are fi finding answers to life in other places. Uh, social media, especially TikTok, I would like to um, bring up here, has been opening up a world of, of spirituality, of, of uh, manifestation, of how you can achieve things by thinking a certain way uh, or believing in tarot cards or believing in, in this or this. It's, it's making people think that they can find answers to things other places. So they don't feel yeah. they need the religion. In yeah, no, excellent. I mean, that's a very well thought out answer to my question. And I really appreciate that. But actually, just I want to just home it into uh, Norway. It, I mean, there's no uh, Norway is allowed, allows you and has no prohibition for religious discrimination, does it? You can practice your religion without any problems in Norway. Mm, that's true. That's and there's no issues like France where they put a, uh, a perda ban on you. 
No, we we they they have a NICA ban for public buildings, but it's yeah. in practice it's it's nothing because people you can still wear a niqab if you are a student, you can still wear a niqab if you have an appointment at the police station. So they love it's not a practical rule. So there's absolutely no kind of rules here that discriminate. Uh, people yeah. based I mean, on their religion. I mean, that, that sounds really interesting. And then you're able to then show truly what the meanings are of Islam and faith. I mean, at the end of the day, where you did your litter pick um, on New Year's Day, mm. um, also, it's it's part of the, the kind of community what most religions um, teach anyway, isn't it? It's to, to keep your place tidy, to civic pride, all these things. And you've had the great opportunity to be able to do that as well, because Absolutely. me, for one, is very worried that uh, the country is is moving away from faith i mean uh, although yeah, yeah, we know the the statistics yeah. uh, that those who identified themselves as muslims in this country rose from 4.9% in 2011 when the census was done then to 6.5 last year and that could be for many reasons as well but i i just had one more question for you uh, before dr uh, bajwa asks you a question i mean in this report it said that Belonging to no religion doesn't necessarily mean that someone isn't spiritual um, Mm. because like you, I mean, I'm sure um, anyone could have done the litter pick as an example. Mm. Does that make Mm. them someone from uh, from a spiritual background? But actually, is spirituality the same as being religious? I remember growing up whenever I heard the word religious being spiritual, I thought them to be the exact same thing. Um, I still think that it, it is in one way, but I've been reading loads about it and I understand uh, the, the narrative that they aren't necessarily the same thing as well, whilst my personal op- opinion would still be that I think that it's actually been just the same thing. But people um, people still think of themselves as being connecting connected to something spiritual when they're not being religious. Many say that it's because Spirituality sort of involves like a personal quest for meaning in life, while religion involves like that you have an organized entity with rituals and practices focusing on a higher power or God. Uh, for me personally, I can't find those that meaning of life without looking into my faith and my religion and everything that is out there of spiritual mantra, manifestation, how you can think your way to, to a greater life. All of that is something that my religion teaches me as well about how being grateful to God uh, opens and uh, um, uh, gives you more blessings. That's something that my religion has taught me. So if a, if a person believes in in the, the um, manifestation methods and and the fact that you can be if you if you think positively and if you're grateful in life, life will give you more. I would say it's the same thing. They've just switched the word God with life. So for me, I would still say that those things are connected because I can find a re- religious, um, I can find all of that spirituality thoughts in, in religious teachings. But I, I see why people look at it as two <coughs> different things as well. Um, mm. Anam, thank you very much for, for your uh, very eloquent answers. Um, <laughs> I, I think you, when you mentioned about you know the cleaning the streets, and it reminded me that uh, the second our second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, when he um, started this scheme, which is called Tahrik al um, mm-hmm. in 1934, uh, out of his, you know, he, he gave certain demands, and there were about 21 demands, and one of the demands in that was to clean the streets. 
clean the pathways. Mm. And mm. Uh, so you see the vision of the caliph that at that time when he planned that this is how we are going to spread the message of Islam to the world, one of the demands he gave was to clean the streets. So this is amazing. Mm. Uh, mm. It just reminded me of that. So you mentioned mm. about that, that the religious religion and spirituality, they go hand in hand. But, mm. you know, there is a lot of confusion that religion creates problems in the society mm. and a divide. So what do you think mm. is the role of the religion in the society? Oh, the, the role of the religion, why God gave us teachings to follow was to create harmony. And religion is supposed to be important for comfort, for the understanding of humans, for the understanding of how we can be humble, for the understanding of how weak we are as human beings and how we can improve and make a better world for, for both ourselves and for future generations. It's a way of, of understanding why the world was created, what's the purpose of every living thing on this planet. And um, as a general societal rule, I would say religion is supposed to be means of finding one another, to build bridges, fill gaps between people, to find common ground despite our differences. And religion is supposed to give us a way of, of finding answers to questions like how we can attain world peace, um, how we can build, uh, how our, how our um, nation and our, our justice system can be, truly be just how we can make sure that every human being is treated equally according to the way they're supposed to be treated. Um, and religion is supposed to be our savior whenever we feel like the world is hitting us hard. It's supposed to like comfort us like a, a comforting shield. And I personally think that if you, if you just look at Islam, for an instance, um, so many questions that uh, were answered, like just to say like in that way, by science later were already answered by Islam and by God Many, many years ago, we, we can find answers to everything, why the, that river was separated this way, how the world was created, how the system of the universe works. Um, all of those answers can already be found in religious teachings. God has given us the message. So for me, religion's role is to educate us on how we can be better human beings, how we can create a better world, how we can maintain the world, and how we can we can edu it's also about the knowledge of of the world knowledge on things we don't we are unable to to visit ourselves for instance the universe the planets the solar system and everything like it's supposed to to be a source of of, of unity and knowledge basically that's the role of uh, that's that's why god sent us his teachings uh, and that's why he gave them to us unfortunately people have been misusing them. If you go back to the roots of, of religion, you'll see that fundamentally that's what the teachings yeah. tell us. That's why we got those teachings. Yeah, uh, yeah thank you. That's, uh, uh, yeah, the religion um, um, wants to take people towards peace, but the, yeah. the, the politicians take advantage of the differences in the religions and <coughs> misuse that, uh, that uh, uh, sort of understanding. So uh, I was earlier discussing with uh, Hanif that, uh, you know, maybe the statistics we have is that they have changed because people who consider themselves as Christians because they were born into a uh, into mm -hmm. a home, which was a Christian home. And now they have realized that they, they don't uh, consider themselves Christian anymore. Maybe that is the case. Uh, do you think that in the past people automatically considered themselves in the same religion mm -hmm. as their parents? And has that mm -hmm. changed now? 
Mm. Yes, absolutely. It was much more common before because people, you had your social circle was much smaller. Your your um, reach into the world was was not as as far as it is today, where people are able to travel far and near and far. You have everything you you want to see on your phone. You can literally search up anything and and find an answer to at least think that you can find an answer to anything through a phone um, and all of those things uh, has made it easier for us to be influenced by thoughts that aren't necessarily created at home or thoughts that aren't at home uh, whilst before your family was ma basically the only place you got your uh, main knowledge and that was your uh, only so so uh, social circle the, the only reach you had into the world and it was easier maybe back then to just okay this is the religion we're supposed to follow these are the teachings we're supposed to follow let's just keep following them but i see a change in that now i see many people amongst for instance i see here in Norway, for instance, they changed up the, um, at first we had a state religion, which was Christianity, and then just a few years back, they, they decided that state and religion is going to be separate, and, and that's when people decided, okay, let's just, then um, we don't need to be members of the church anymore, uh, because people were just members of the church because it was an obligation. Mm -hmm. So after that, the church saw an decrease in, in the amount of members they had and then also I see many of my colleagues today who sit and talk about for instance now during Christmas people have been sharing stories about how their elder parents have been and according to them nagging them to bring them to church on Christmas Eve and how they it's been such oh it was so boring to sit there and listen through it all mm -hmm. uh, and, and people I see more and more people are doing um, they might have parents that want them to get married in the church but they themselves are choosing to get married at the most random places and don't necessarily have a priest there to to marry them um so i can see a change now absolutely uh because people are objecting to the way their parents lived and are trying to find answers other way but the, but there are still some people that that trust that what they have been told at home is is the right approach to to life and they they trust in that knowledge and and continue to to read up on that knowledge but i would say that i'm seeing at least here in the west i'm seeing a decrease unfortunately yeah. okay you you must have experienced as well that you know people mm -hmm. you know when you want to talk to them or uh, they say oh uh, well i'm not religious I, i'm not interested in religion so how mm -hmm. do, how do you instill the importance of religion back into people by educating people about the practicalities and the beauty of religion and that the re that religion isn't necessarily many people when they think about religion they think about it as something um, supernatural or something that's totally far-fetched and there is no logic to it like there oh for instance uh, that someone can fly onto into the skies and and stay alive there or 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 someone can just uh, someone can be given eternal life and that kind of people think that maybe religion is very like supernatural and it's just out there and can't be explained by logical arguments mm. um, but that's not true uh, we, that's what we I think we need to make people understand that religion is practical religion is logic it's, it's the knowledge that we already actually have we, we think we don't have uh, any knowledge based on religion but we do 
And religion is not for those who think they are perfect, but for those imperfect people that want to create a better world and become better for themselves. And by understanding people's needs, what made them leave their religion, we can find ways of connecting their understanding of their, of life and the world to the faith. Because we think that our thoughts are unique about spirituality or about the way the world works but or how we can achieve things. But the truth is that all of the stuff is linked to basic religion teachings. I find tons of links to Islam, and I know some Christians find links to Christianity. And okay. we think we aren't influenced, influenced by those faiths, right. but the truth is that we are. So I've got a question for you. So based yeah. on what you've just said, say I mm-hmm. was running late and I just missed my taxi. I want to get somewhere that... Mm-hmm. Oh, God, what am I going to do now? And suddenly out of the blue, someone turns up and they say, well, I'm going in the same direction and it's an old friend of yours. So mm. would you consider that at that moment that mm. God sent that to me because I asked or mm. was it just out of luck or what is it? Mm. What's your mindset? Because many people say, yeah, OK, well, I know so many people. Yeah, it was a coincidence. Yeah. It was a coincidence. Yeah, it was coincidence. Now, yeah. Someone of faith would say, <clears throat> I asked the question, and I got an answer there and then. Is is mm. that the kind of Islam that we think or, or faith should be kind of attributing itself to? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that every every time I feel like something's going wrong for me, but it suddenly turns out to be uh, go well after all, I truly believe that that's God's doing. I truly believe so. I believe that there is... Uh, a power, higher power out there looking out for me, yeah. uh, and and that higher power helps me in in moments where I think I'm not being helped. Just like a very very small example, last week I was driving and it was the weather was terrible, and I remember uh, I saw like um, I was getting delayed and and, and was being like I, the delay was happening for absolutely no reason, like just someone driving really really slow. And, and I was thinking, oh, being annoyed, oh, I'm going to get be, be late to the place that I'm supposed to be at, and I don't know when I'm going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. And I was being so worried about it. And then um, I, what I didn't realize, that that slow car in front of me was actually a blessing in disguise because because of that slow car, uh, and not being able, and it was a, um, uh, I was, I wasn't able to to um, drive past it. I was able to to, um, I missed, I wasn't there. Uh, there was an accident that happened actually uh, right in front uh, of yeah. that car. So uh, God saved me from from being in, yeah. at, at that place, and I re- truly think it was God. So I do believe in that. No, no. Uh, I mean, we've run out of time to ask you about another billion questions based on your kind of very eloquent, <laughs> no. long answers. So we'll have to call it a, a day there. Exactly. But definitely when we pick on this subject again, there, there's so much more that we want to pick your brains about because this is something that, uh, you know, how do you instill faith in someone is the mm-hmm. hardest question. And these days mm-hmm. when people have access to, like you mentioned earlier, <laughs> smartphones, they can make their mm-hmm. own decisions and TikTok. But mm-hmm. anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there because we've got our next two callers mm-hmm. that we want to talk to you about. Yeah. Look, mm-hmm. uh, sister, and um, thank you very much uh, for your time today. It's been very interesting and uh, fruitful for both myself and Dr. Bajasov and our listeners uh, around the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was uh, Assistant National President of Legina Imalana, and Legina Imalana means Our Ladies uh, for Norway and is a lawyer as well. Um, so, Dr. Bajwa, what an interesting, fascinating conversation because it is one of those concepts, isn't it? Is how, one, do you instill the mindset that you believe in God? Secondly, how is it then you, every action, good or bad, 
um, happy or sad moment comes from God Almighty? And how can you get people to believe in that? I I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Because of science and technology that we think, you know, we're at the day and age that we can solve all our own problems. Yeah, uh, the the thing is that I was was thinking during this conversation as well that, Mm. that the most important thing, and this is this is what my my personal um, sort of experience um, has been that uh, <clears throat> at a very young age, you know, I was reading through um, one of the books, uh, which is uh, about the life of Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Awwal, the, the very the first caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, mm. Hazrat Hakim Wali um, Nuruddin, and and this is about his uh, trust in God, uh, his solid firm faith in God. And uh, <clears throat> when I read that, you know, uh, it it really uh, I was moved by that because you know most of the time you are reading um, novels, you are reading the stories, and you are reading all the fantasies, and and I was at at that stage at that, uh, and uh, suddenly I read this book and I said that look this is so interesting, and uh, it tells you about a living God and his relationship with with his uh, uh, creation. And uh, so, so we go and we enjoy these, uh, you know, the, the different um, novels and stories. And so, this is something which is, you know, every word of this book is true. And this man has experienced that. And he he stands there and he says and he he tears off his uh, his certificate and says that, you know, I trust in Allah. Do you think that I trust in this degree? I don't. Mm-hmm. And he just tears it off and just walks yeah. away. And then God looks after him. He is provided with a very good uh, jobs everywhere. And he never he says that he claims that I I will never go hungry, and he, his claim is fulfilled. Uh, you know, and it's a challenge. He, he challenges yeah. people that my God has promised that I will never uh, sleep hungry, and and God provides him everywhere, even in the jungle. So this is the thing that the religion brings you towards God, a living God, with which you have that kind of relationship that when you are in need, He's there for you. Mm. He looks after you, and uh, and I think that's the most attractive thing in Islam that it presents a living God. Yeah. It's it's attractive, but also. You have to learn patience sometimes, right? <laughs> that, that's one of the harder ones. She can get over the patience, I guess. I mean, we, again, you know, you've, you've picked on some wonderful topics there to talk about, but we've got our next guest uh, on the line who we want to talk to uh, as well. We have Ilham Hamayun, who is the who is serving as an educational secretary in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much uh, for joining us here on the Drive Time Show, Sister Ilham. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you very much for inviting me today. No, you're most welcome. You know, it's, it's guests like yourself that make our show fantastic for our listeners uh, around the world. Look, just to start off, could you tell us how important uh, is religion and faith to you? Thank you. Um, I was listening to your program. I'm not a religious scholar, and I'm as a layman, as a common woman, I'll uh, answer your questions. Please do. Yes, certainly. So please don't expect uh, too much, uh, uh, <laughs> too much highly uh, available. No, no, it's you. It's you. We want to. We want to hear about yourself. That, that that's the yes, key thing. Yes, yes. Because especially, I'll give you my own observation. Yeah, go ahead. At my daily life, that uh, um, I'm a Muslim. I'm the Muslim woman. May I introduce myself as well? And uh, Islam, the religion, is has got a big factor in my life. 
a main factor actually in my life because I feel so much connected if I practice my religion every day, daily basis um, in my daily chores. I feel so much connected with the community. If I can feel a connection with um, my creator, Allah Ta'ala, God Almighty, and with my uh, community, my fellow uh, um, uh, people who are living or residing beside me in the same religion. And uh, I feel a sense of security as well. So it's very important to me. Okay. I mean, what are the things that, like you from a layman's purpose, um, why do you think people are turning away from faith and religion? We were having this discussion in the break. Um, we spoke, well, you know, when you look at some religions and some faith, you look at their history and you look at what we're seeing today, the Crusades, what happened, all the barbarism that took place and what we've been seeing in places like um, Iraq and Afghanistan. They actually don't really belong to the true teachings of any religion, do they? But, you know, from, no. from your mindset, why do you think people are turning away from faith and religion? Um. I think nowadays uh, the it a lot of things can be uh, you know uh, uh, a big factor. I, I can you know count a lot of things like uh, media, like uh, social media, uh, the people who are uh, who are in the in name of religion doing wrong things, uh, especially yeah. religious. Uh, some of the religious leaders who are uh, so-called religious leaders, but they are, I'm talking about any religion, not only Islam, but mm. any religion. They are not practicing the main uh, morals and values of the religion by themselves. So, you know, the religious leaders, they are kind of uh, parents to the people, uh, followers, and like at your, I, I can observe at my household, if I am uh, lying to, it's just a simple example, if I'm lying to somebody, uh, like I'm not at home or telling my children, please, if somebody calls, tell them I'm not at home. I'm teaching them straight away what and as well as I'm telling my children that lying is a sin, you know. So if I'm not implementing all the rules and values and morals at myself or and my, in my uh, daily, you know, practicing and I'm telling people something else, people feel, you know, um, very insecure, very, um, they think that there are double standards in the religion. Uh, some, uh, for some people, religion is something else. For some people, religion does something else. And uh, uh, of course, I know some people are quite impatient as well. So if they pray or they practice religion and they don't see the outcome, whatever they want immediately, <laughs> like uh, if you pray, for very long and you don't see the uh, that your prayers are being fulfilled or accepted by Allah Ta'ala or the whatever God you believe in, you think that, no, it's not right. I mean, no, nobody is doing nothing for me. So these kind of things, especially people who are practicing religion, who are telling to practice religion in a certain way, but they are uh, especially religious leaders and they are not implementing these rules and values and morals on themselves they are not a good example for people follow for their followers this is one of the biggest reasons right thank you um, can you give a tip for our listeners um, how can a person come closer to God Almighty 
<laughs> there are lots of things. <laughs> uh, people can close to God Almighty by praying, by praying, by uh, doing the right deeds in their religion. Christianity, every religion, I think, uh, uh, give you the good morals, good values. They tell about the God Almighty and its power of God Almighty, and they give you a sense of security, and they give you the uh, simple things to follow. Like if you do good deeds, uh, you'll get reward of it. And if you will, if you will do some sins or not uh, good to other people or other human beings or other uh, fellow beings in your life, uh, you'll be seeing the consequences, vice versa. So um, uh, my tip of that, that whenever you feel insecure or uh, feel anxious, because religion uh, can give you a big, uh, can put a give big impact on your mental health as well. So if you feel anxious and insecure, I think remembering Allah Ta'ala, remembering God, and uh, asking for help in certain way of prayer, uh, because uh, I know in Quran, Allah Ta'ala says, وَقَالَ رَبَّكُمْ لَكُمْ And your Lord says, call upon me, I will respond to you. So uh, certainly Allah Ta'ala responds to you, in a certain way, either um, on the very moment or a bit later, but Allah Ta'ala responds to you, Allah Ta'ala listens to you, and the other thing is that uh, Allah Ta'ala says, Allah bi-zikrillah al khuloob, that uh, truly it is in the remembrance of God that heart finds peace. So finding peace is the main thing in within your heart, within your spirit, and within your environment. It's, uh, it gives you great impact yeah. when you pray to God. Fantastic. And well, that's a perfect note to end on there as well. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sister Iram, for your time today. You're and very much welcome. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you. Most welcome. Thank you very much. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa May God be with you and peace be upon you as well. So, Dr. Bajwad, very interesting conversation. And also, when you kind of look at this report that, that we're discussing today. It's really interesting to, to learn, although um, there was an increase of Christians that did not kind of believe in, in faith of God Almighty, there's also the, the statistics that there were more people that were choosing, the, although they don't believe in the faith, that and all the other religions outside of Christianity, they had a, an increase uh, in, in religion as well. But there was also an increase, more of an increase in in paganism, which where people are turning towards atheism in atheism. a way. Yeah, in a way yeah. So that was a really interesting conversation. I mean, <laughs> do you think that people just are losing out of faith of the, what they've been told, that things that are a bit literal where they think there's not a true understanding? I think the uh, one major problem is that you know if when you when you look at these statistics one thing that comes to your mind is that these are the people who were religious people and have gone away from religion why they have gone away from religion that's that's what needs yeah. to be looked at and when they have looked practically their parents they have looked at uh, the teachings they've gone through what people practically are doing, uh, you know, those who are the religious people, that is what has has uh, made them go away from the religion, and that is that is what exactly is happening 
um, you know, with, with many people who go away from the religion is because they don't know their true religion and they just look at the people, how they are behaving, and they think, if this is their religion, we are better yeah. off without that, it. That, that's, what, that's, a, that's a very good explanation. And I remember in uh, listening to a Legamart Arab with the fourth Khalifa Hazim is a diet hammer to kind of explain this man will be pleased with him the people if you want them to understand your faith yeah. you should be a reflection of what your faith is Absolutely. that they want to embody that in with them as well so I want to ask this similar question to our next guest the uh, Bushra Huma Bhatti who's also ha- holding on uh, the show as, as well and just waiting in the wings for us to ask us some questions and um, uh, Bushra Humar Badi is a teaching assistant and also a local outreach secretary in the community and it's wonderful to have her with us today. So um, welcome uh, Sister Bushra to the show. Thank you so much. Peace be on you all. Uh, thank you very much. Just to start off th- this question that um, you know how important is it for you to having faith? Uh, is it integral to everything you do? Um, I feel faith as like logical, very scientific and spiritual way of life. So in my day-to-day life, um, faith is my guidance yeah. and I can see um, the benefits. So that's why I use the word logical and scientific as well, uh, along with the spirituality. Brilliant. Um, so, we, we had this discussion earlier as well yeah. about you know you raise a family with a community i mean do yeah. you think it's the responsibility of parents or that of society to teach children about faith and religion um primarily of course home is the unit um of the wider society so definitely parents um are play a primary role in bringing up children so of course they should be role models for moral teachings and for faith. But along with parents, of course, you can't live alone within your home. You have interaction within the society. So society also plays an important role. And because as a teaching assistant, I'm working in school, I, I have noticed um, how effective is religious education, the subject religious education, uh, of course, it depends on the teacher as well, how they uh, teach the lesson. But overall, the presence of such subjects, that school is kind of a mini society, I believe, and how we can learn from each other, how to respect um, each other's perspective, we try to understand. And despite um, some differences in opinion, how to... Um, encourage moral values. So, yes, primarily, in my opinion, parents are responsible, but along with parents, society is responsible as well, particularly like the education sector. Fantastic. Um, it's really interesting that you talk about the education side of things. Uh, Dr. Bajwa mentioned about, you know, when we people talk about faith, education is one of those really important um, aspects uh, as well. I always believe um, as a mother and as a teacher, we are nation builders. So yeah, yeah. we have a very important role to play if we play with honesty and being a role model morally. 
So um, you don't teach religion in a way that you would your own children in school, would you? Um, you would have to wait, I guess, for the uh, class that talks about religious studies, or would, or are you inclined in that way? Um, actually, like, um, although I take groups and um, support the teacher, yeah. but um, very interestingly, students, because I wear hijab, they, they can see me, how I do my role, and mm. so many students have so many questions sometimes, and here and there, wherever they get a chance, uh, they ask me about uh, so many things. Uh, for example, um, when the teacher is taking the attendance, they have usually like uh, asking students, are you vegetarian? Like if you have a school dinner, are you vegetarian? Or are you halal? Or, you know, about the food, or is it everything? And um, sometimes students hear these kind of terms, but they don't know exactly. So they ask me as well, Miss, what is halal? And what are the benefits of halal? So, you know, I have so many opportunities, at least, uh, within my um, circumstances to explain them. And um, I'm glad that I I managed to do these these things. Mm. So, again, it doesn't matter they are children or colleagues or wherever we are, yeah. um, the awareness is important. Yeah, and, and, and you're, when, you're explaining it on a practical level as well. I mean, you're not indoctrinating yes. in any way. It's a, it's just, it's inquisitively, you ask the question and you're talking it from your own personal uh, perspective as well. I mean, just um, as, as, I, as I let you go, there is just one last question. You know, what are, in your personal opinion, what are the, some of the benefits of being religious? Personally, I believe uh, gratefulness and uh, the connection with the living God, uh, it gives inner peace. Um, And uh, the more you connect with God, the more you connect with sincerity, uh, with the humanity, and uh, your vision becomes really broader. And uh, personally, I feel uh, all people who are connected with God in any way, they become um, really sincere in their services to humanity as well. So they don't uh, um, expect rewards from humanity um, necessarily um, because they know um, if, like, we, we can't take benefits from in return, God will give the compensation and the love. So that's the most important thing yeah. we broader our vision for humanity as well while we are connecting with god yeah so it gives inner peace yeah i i think that's a really good point there to end on as well because when you boil it down all religions ultimately have a very strong element of the humanity aspect serving humanity serving mankind i mean we have always been taught that there are two main reasons that we were put on this earth. One is to worship God Almighty, and second is to serve humanity. And I and I think the way you've explained that has been brilliant. Well, listen, thank you very much for your time today, uh, Sister Bushra. I really appreciate uh, everything thank that you've you um, done and answered our questions. Um, and we wish you the best of luck in, in your um, pursuits and your journey towards finding God Almighty stronger. Thank you. Thank you.
you so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you for most welcome. Me. Okay, bye for now. So, look, very again, very interesting conversation, right? It's, it's, yeah. It is all about people's own choices. But actually, how then do you make those choices to be choices of faith, right? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the important thing is that um, if you make people believe, mm. um, you can't make people believe by just argument. Yeah. It has to be your, you have to be role model. You have yeah. to, um, they can, if they see it inside you, if they see that you believe in God, God listens to your prayers, they come to you, they request for prayers themselves, even if they don't believe in God. And that is that is the thing that you know they they convinced in their hearts that, that yes they, they their prayers is, are listened uh, and that what they believe is correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I just want to end um, very quickly by just saying that you know we we tried to explain from our faith from a generalistic point of view uh, about the survey that was done in 2021 it was carried out on March the 21st last year and I'm sure many of you did it because it was carried out by more than 24 million households across England and Wales if you imagine the average amount of people who live in a household that's pretty much covered the whole of the population and obviously more data will come out from the census and then we'll you know hope to look at what gets published and and understand it um, over the next two years and it'll be interesting to see what else comes out all the way from not only just faith but also of people's demographic where they live and how they're choosing but I think I just want to end uh, the show by a quote that Dr Bajwa uh, wants to read out as well, thank you Yeah this is um, uh, an interesting quote um, from the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and he has written, this is one of the book, books he has written out of the 85 books, Zanjami Atham in uh, Ruhani Khazayan is volume 2, page 346 and says, come I'll tell you about where the living God is and which nation he is with he is with Islam. Right now, Islam is like the Tur of Moses, that's the mountain of Moses, where God Almighty is speaking, that God who used to speak to prophets and then became silent. Today he speaks in the hearts of Muslims. Thank you very much uh, for that, Dr. Bajwad. And that's a fantastic lead out to our two hours that we discussed about uh, today, about the wealth distribution and about faith. As is, as it seeps away, um, and how we thought we could, you know, talk about it, bring it back to you. And again, if there's anything that interests you in the topics we discussed, uh, by all means, give us a call on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And always, you can get us on our social media platforms, from Instagram to TikTok to Twitter on Voice of Islam UK. And thank you very much for listening. And forgive us of our shortcomings. And here is the six o'clock news.